Today's going to be called individual warfare. Because as an individual, as an individual Christian, as I walk in the spirit, as I live a life that uh, I believe is in obedience to God, I'm going to find out that there's an enemy out there that doesn't want me to live that way. I'm going to find out that there's an enemy that's a spiritual enemy that is uh, wanting me to do the wrong thing, to forsake my calling, to disbelieve in the Bible, all kinds of things. And we are at war as a church. We are at war as individuals, and we certainly are at war as a nation, okay? And also as the body of Christ. So this is the second part on <clears throat> spiritual warfare. Let me give you a couple of things that would refresh you on uh, last, last week. Ecclesiastes 3.8, you don't need to turn there. Uh, Solomon says that there is a time for war. So there is. Judges 3, we uh, looked up that scripture last week where God is leading the people via Joshua. By way of Joshua, Moses is, is, is dead, deceased. And so now they're taking over the uh, promised land that God had promised to give them. And he, he tells them that there are some of them that have not been trained for war yet and that they need to be. They need the experience of warfare, of fighting, because they were going to have a lot of it in their future as they took over the promised land that God had. And so I would say that that's uh, very similar to the abundant life as Christians. Uh, there are certain areas, it seems like, in, the, in uh, the life that God has planned out for me that I have to fight to get to and have to fight to hang on to. Amen? Okay, good. It's good to know I'm not the only one. All right, so let me uh, just go over real quickly again some of the attitudes that people may have about or towards spiritual warfare, even Christians. Uh, we talked about some people have, that, have this attitude. They're ignorant of the war. They don't know there's a war going on, and so they're probably going to be victims sooner or later. Number, the second one was there, some people are aware of, the war, aware of the war but do nothing about it. Well, we looked up uh, Isaiah 3 to where one of the parts of a judgment of God on his people was an absence of warriors, an absence of a man of war. And so think about that. The body of Christ to be complete, or a nation to be complete, needs to have people that know something about warfare because there's evil in this world. And you can either give in to it or fight it. And reject it. If you're going to reject it, expect a war on your hands. That's just the way it's always been. So, number three was neglect the war by way of compromise. Compromise means, you know, okay, I'll give you, you can, you can take over my city, I'll give you half if you leave me the other half. All right? That would be compromise. Or complacency. Complacency is where you are feeling good and you're totally unaware of approaching danger. That's, that's, uh, <clears throat> that's complacency. And it's easy if we don't renew and refresh our minds and continually learn and believe and walk in the, the Word of God. It's easy to become complacent. It's easy to become <clears throat> compromising. Fourth thing was some people are defending themselves. They have a good start. They've learned that there's a warfare and they're learning some things. And then finally was taking aggressive action. And taking aggressive action in spiritual warfare requires training. 
like good soldiers have to have. The mean, <clears throat> that means the meaning for us is that we must learn and wage group intercessory prayer and also corporate warfare against the evils of our times. Okay? Ezekiel 37. You don't need to turn there. I'm just going to mention a little word out of it. God is speaking to Ezekiel the prophet, and he sees this vision of a bunch of bones laying around. And they're disjointed. And God says, speak to them, speak life unto them. So he does. And the end result was uh, they became, one, able to stand up like the bones were refreshed and redirected how to come into a body. And after they stood up, they became, as he described it, an exceeding great army. Okay, isn't that interesting? There's nothing wrong with them if they would have been a happy, joyful body, but that's not what it says at this time. It's okay certainly to be happy and joyful. You should be all the time, but you can be happy and joyful while you're fighting a war at the same time because you know you're going to win. Okay? All right. I don't like to think about war all the time, but I have become painfully aware of the truth of the old saying, the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. You have to be aware. You have to be alert, and we have to stay ready. There is a, an enemy out there, a thief and a destroyer on the loose. He loves to do evil. He loves to do false accusations, one of his favorite weapons against us. False accusations and blame others, and blame others for it. Jesus called him a liar and a murderer from the beginning. Satan hates God and everything God stands for and, and is doing. It's just the way that he is. And he also hates you and me because every time he sees us, we remind him that we are products of his destruction. Okay? So, be ready for war. Here's a George Washington quote. War is the most effective, excuse me, being ready for war is the most effective means of preserving peace. There is true, that is true for natural order and certainly true for spiritual order where it begins. So let's talk about personal individual warfare. We're going to talk next time, sooner or later, about corporate warfare, about the power of the body, learning to pray and come into unity of the spirit which is a very, very powerful thing. And we need to learn more about it and practice it. So one of the examples in Scripture about spiritual warfare is Jesus, after he has uh, been baptized, goes and led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. And at the end of that 40 days, it says he was hungry. Now, that makes a lot of sense. I bet he was. I bet he was. Anybody ever gone on a 40-day fast? I, I knew Dennis would have. Shouldn't I ask that? Uh, but anyway, the idea is Satan tries to attack you in your place of weakness. All right? So that means that if we are, if we have let our lives kind of droop down and, and get whirly and so on and so forth like that, like that, then that's an open door for the enemy to come. So what we also noticed was that Jesus used the word of the Father, the word of God, to combat what the temptation was that Satan was always trying to 
pull off on him. So, if you would um, turn in your Bibles, and we'll have this up on Ephesians 6, 10. We'll have this up there, but uh, I'd like for you just to have that open in your Bibles so we can uh, follow along. Now, we're all going to have different... Different Bible versions. Okay, so we're going to look at the whole armor of God. Now, I, when I teach on this, I always ask, how many of you have ever heard a teaching on the whole armor of God? Okay, all right, good. Uh, you, you, there's so much to this. Just a little half a dozen or so verses. There's so much to it. You could study and learn from this on and on and on for days on end because it is so real and it is so practical. It's not just weird spiritual stuff. It is something that as you walk in the Spirit, you will learn what it means when it says, take unto yourselves, put on the whole armor of God. All right, so let's look at starting chapter 6, verse 10, whole armor of God. Uh, Verse 10, finally... Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Okay, stop there for a moment. Have you ever seen a verse in the Bible that encourages you to be weak and gullible? Right? Be an idiot, right? It doesn't say that anywhere. Don't learn anything. Enjoy being ignorant. And nowhere in the Bible is it, you know, the Bible, being a disciple, a disciple is a learner, right? Not just a follower, he's also a learner along the way. So this is, this is part of learning how to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, okay? Now, even though you may have had teachings galore on the whole armor of God, repetition is good. When it comes to learning, when it comes to being strong, hear the word of God and hear it and hear it and learn it and read it and think on it and meditate on it and practice it and obey it. And finally, it'll get down so deep inside of you that you'll become, <laughs> you'll become strong in the Lord and in the power of his mind. Right? So the idea is be strong in the Lord. Now, those of you who are English majors, what is the subject of that sentence? You. You, you be strong in the Lord. Notice it does not say, don't worry about anything. God's going to make you strong whether you like it or not. No. The burden is on you to be strong in the Lord. Now, how do you do that? Just talked a little bit about it. Eat God's word. Take it in. Believe it. Practice it. Obey it. And allow God to make you strong. Now, I will confess to you that I am very weak. However, God is my strength. Okay, so that makes me very strong, right? When you are relying on God to supply the strength, to supply the power, to supply the miracle, supply the healing, supply the wisdom, the direction, then that's relying in his strength and his capability. So part number one is be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Okay, now the whole armor, know this, The whole armor is something that you grow into. It's not a sudden experience, right? Now, I love to have sudden experiences in the Lord when God just whap like that and I'm okay, 
or I, I learned something, or God speaks to me. I love that. But much of our spiritual walk is just a gradual growth in the same way that physical growth. You know, you started out as a baby. You didn't become an adult overnight. It took time, and you had to learn a lot, and you had to practice a lot. You had to be disciplined. You did some things wrong and had to be corrected. That's spiritual growth. So we grow into being better soldiers of God, but number one step is let the Lord be your strength. Okay, be strong. It doesn't say be gullible, be vulnerable. It says be strong in the Lord. He is your strength. You put on, understood object. God has a part, and you have a part. You can't do God's part, and he won't do yours. We think about that. All right? Let's say that together. That, that is so meaningful to me. Okay? I, say, say this. I am strong in the Lord. God is my strength. I have a part, and he has a part. I can't do his, and he won't do mine. You have a part. <laughs> you have to submit. You have to want to. You have to be desirous of obedience. Okay, so the Lord is our strength. So take your stand, all right? Calls for activity and a right mindset on my part. Now, Satan has different schemes. He can do a frontal assault. Whammo. You ever had that happen? Yeah. Something just plap. You know, oh man, that's terrible. All right? That's like a frontal assault. Or he can do a long time wearing out tactic. It just hangs on and hangs on and you just can't get rid of it, can't get rid of it, and your mind gets stuck in a negative way and you just can't quit thinking ugly, wrong thoughts and so on. Well, that's a siege. In the old days when they would attack a city, if, they, if the attacking enemy couldn't climb the wall, then they just camped around outside and starved them out. And that was effective. It just took time. Okay, now it says, back to the word, put on the full armor of God. There's another understood object. You put on the full, the full armor of God. doesn't say... God has a set of armor, and he's coming your way to put it on you, right? You put it on. So that you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. Now, the devil has enough experience over the centuries that he can pretty well tell our weak spots. The more you walk in the Spirit, the more you live for the Lord, God will also show you your weak spots but he will show you so that you may become strong in the Lord. All right? So, <clears throat> it, continuing here, uh, verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Long verse. <clears throat> okay. He speaks about principalities, rulers, in this dark world. Now, if you think of the way a government is formed, we have a president, we have a Congress, we have a threefold government, and then we have down on a lower level, we have mayors and city council and other authorities. 
the police, various things that we are affected by their rule. Now, the idea of principalities and powers in, in ancient times, not so much anymore used that word principality as sort of a governor of a small area of land. Okay, we have principalities today. We might call them counties. But what he's starting to get us to understand right here is that the kingdom of darkness has a certain way in which it operates, all right? And <clears throat> there are principalities and powers. Now, if you were to try to study what it means about heavenly places here, think about scripture where Paul talks about being caught up into the third heaven. Remember that? Okay, he's caught up into a third heaven. Now, I can read that and say, wow, if he's caught up in the third heaven, there must be a heaven one and two. Okay, let me give you a theory that I think is probably most common if you read a bunch of commentaries about the armor of God is there is like a first heaven which is on planet earth, which is where we are living right now. Right? Above that is a, an area that larger principalities and powers dwell and try to rule over humanity. The third heaven is where God is. Right? In the Old Testament, a lot of, one of the titles for God was the most high God. Think of it like that. That God is the most high God. Now, right underneath that is where the spiritual warfare originates from. Okay, that's where the satanic, evil principalities and powers, big guys, fallen angels, dwell. And there's probably warfare going on there right now between those demonic powers and angels. Yeah, yeah. Now, here on planet Earth, I think you're... <clears throat> what we refer to in scripture as demons, all right? So when you and I are harassed, it's normally by demonic stuff. But there are powers and authorities above them that will rule over a larger area. Now, power is what the enemy wants. Power <coughs> is how he can subdue someone and rule over their lives. Right? So when we're dealing with spiritual warfare, I think 99% of what we're dealing with is the street demons. Okay? Jesus cast out demons. All right? Those are the things that personally were attacking human beings at the time. Either sickness, darkness, all different kinds of things. Lying, so on and so forth. Now, if you were to pray and pray and pray and pray and fast like Daniel did, which is going to be the next thing I'm going to talk about from Daniel 10, you're going to find, you may find out that <clears throat> there is a, big, a, a bigger, uglier power in a level above street demons that is, whose job it is to try to rule nations. Okay? Now, in Daniel 10, he goes on a 21-day fast. And he's seeking the Lord and fasting. Finally, the archangel or, the chief, or a chief angel named Michael comes to him and breaks through and says, I heard you pray on the first day, but for the last 21 days I've been fighting with the prince of Persia. Okay, the prince of Persia, what is that? It's evidently one of these, one of these evil powers in the 
number two level atmosphere. Have you ever had the experience, and it just now comes to mind, <clears throat> when you drive into a place, like you're driving into a, a yeah. you're on the road and you drive into a town, you're unfamiliar, all of a sudden, yuck. You just feel darkness, yeah. all right? There's probably some sort of a principality, or as it's talking about here, a ruler, a principality, that's ruling over that particular area of geography. Okay, how are they going to deal with it? Well, probably the best way for those people if in the town, if they recognize it, would be to get together and do some corporate prayer, find the root of it, and command it to go in the name of Jesus. All right? Okay, you don't have to understand a whole lot of that, but you know, if this is new to you, understand that corporate prayer is designed to affect those big guys that have rulership or trying to gain dominion over an entire nation, all right? Not just the little daily demons, you know, that we, you know, you know, like bugs, you know, get off, you know, get out, okay? Does that make sense? Okay, all right. Therefore, <clears throat> he says, we are, that's who we are battling with, not only the street demons running around down here, but these principalities and powers, spiritual powers, that are over them more powerful. Now, they are susceptible to us in the name of Jesus and to the anointing of the Holy Spirit, so it's nothing to be afraid of. It's just understanding how spiritual warfare works. All right, going on to the next... Verse 13, therefore, put on the full or the whole armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Okay? So there's things to learn if we want in, to do well in spiritual warfare. Able to stand. And after you have done everything, excuse me, to stand. 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth. Now, he's going to speak about a half a dozen things about the whole armor of God. And it's easy, easier to understand if you picture some movie that you saw some years ago that had Roman soldiers in it. Okay? Roman soldier had on a helmet, had on a, a, a breastplate. He had on, <clears throat> he has sandals on. He's carrying a shield and a sword. All right, so it's going to go through each one of those items that a Roman soldier would have worn so that he's speaking in the time of his life, Paul here, that people should be able to understand using figurative things. So think Roman for a little while and uh, picture this. Now, the first thing he says that is part of the whole armor of God which is, of course, symbolic, but it translates over into our lives and our activities. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand. And stand, therefore, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Okay? Zero in on the idea of a belt. Okay? A belt is more than just to hold your clothes together. All right? Particularly in those days, a belt was where you would carry a, a sword. You might carry a lot of things. A soldier might have a firearm over here, and extra bullets over here, and a, and a, 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 a I forgot what they call it, a, a 
patch that they, I, I was an army medic and I forgot what to do. Uh, let's see, uh, oh yeah, I had a gauze thing you'd put on your head if you got <laughs> shot in the head, which would do a lot of good, I'm sure. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, belt of truth. Belt covers your midsection. Jesus said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Okay, have you ever had a fear or something so bad that it, you felt like you're punched in the stomach? Yes. Oh, yes. like that, okay. That just makes me think of out of your belly. That's that you know the midsection. Your spirit must be right down deep in your body, someplace. Okay, so having the belt of truth on. Now, do you also ever realize that uh, I, I had to? I worked in a factory one time, a long time ago. Part of the job was lifting boxes, unloading trains, unloading trucks, and so on like that. And you had to lift up these boxes and put them in stacks and put them on uh, pallet jacks and so on and drive them around. Well, anyway, something that I learned was that the most important part of you to guard when you're lifting heavy weights is your lumbar area, right? Now, we a lot of times think, you know, well, I can lift it with my hands, but you can't, so you start putting the weight right here in your back. Well, one of the ways to help prevent injury is to bend your knees and try to move all at the same time. And one of the ways to keep your back safe was to wear a big strong belt that helped you keep your back stiff and not bend into the weight, okay? Now think about that. When you're carrying a weight in life, uh, and you need that weight carried or lifted or something like that, what's, what's a great way to combat <clears throat> that weight? <clears throat> Truth. Okay? You know, God says something, and you realize God's word has a, something to say about it. You know, the prophetic word that Pastor Dwight <clears throat> gave a little bit ago well, start, starts out, Take my yoke upon you, learn of me. Right? Learning of him means getting his truth down inside of me, down in my gut, down in my spirit. So that when weight comes, I don't, I, it doesn't injure me, I can handle it. Because I'm strong in the Lord. Now, does that make sense? Okay, so the basis of having successful spiritual warfare is you've got to have God's truth on the inside of you. You've got to know what God says about it fighting the devil, about fighting wrong thinking, all this. Okay, so the belt of truth is to be bound to our midsection. And then on top of that, let's go to the next piece of the armor, after the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place. Okay, breastplate of righteousness. Now, if you'll get this one, this symbolism, if you get this symbolism, I think you could probably close the door to about half of your spiritual warfare. And that is the breastplate of righteousness. Now, I've got a breastplate on here. I'm a Roman soldier. What is that protecting? Okay, my heart. Very important organs. Heart, lungs. All right? So, I need to be protected in my heart. Now, of course, in the New Testament, we think of heart as spirit. 
and I don't think that's doing an injustice to anything. When the Bible talks about your heart, I think we can equally say my spirit, the deep part of me. Okay, but zero in on this word righteousness. And this is something else when I teach on this, I always love to do. How many of you are righteous in here today? Hold up your hand, okay? Wow, boy, have I got some scripture for the rest of you. <laughs> All right, 2 Corinthians 5.31. And he's got it. No, let's go over there. Can we do that? 2 Corinthians 5.31. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Who's the him here? Jesus, right? God made him sin. Didn't make him to sin. <laughs> he made him sin. Right? So that we could become the righteousness of God in him. Now, I've heard people say, yep, one of these days when we get to heaven, we'll be righteous. The Bible never says that. You either get righteous down here or you don't get it at all. <laughs> righteous, it means literally that I am right with God, legally right with God. Righteousness is a term, is a legal term. I am as right with God as Jesus is right with God. Not because I'm so good, but because he became sin, he became my sin, and he's given me his righteousness. Okay? You are right with God if you're in Christ. You're righteous. Now, that always brings up the problem. Well, I don't, I don't know. That I couldn't be called myself righteous. You know, I, I did a, I, I told a lie last week. That doesn't affect your status with God. You should repent of that lie, and God will restore you. But at the same time, I am right with God because Scripture says so. Okay? All right, can you believe that? It doesn't mean... I'm so good, I don't do anything wrong anymore. Doesn't mean that. Being righteous is not legalism. All right? Now, think about this. How many of the devil's accusations or negative little ugly voices that you hear periodically center around telling you that you're not right with God? Oh, you call yourself a Christian. Well, look at what you did last week. And... If we buy into that, oh, yeah, that's right. I do feel pretty guilty. Oh, yeah? Well, here's some more guilt. You know? And you get depressed and down and so on. Think about this. I'm right with God. All right? Now, that doesn't mean I have legalistic perfection. It doesn't mean that I am totally holy and there's no other possibility for me to get any better. It doesn't mean that. Righteousness is a legal term. If you were to appear before the judge and you had done some horrible crime and he said, we know you're guilty, but we're going to treat you forever as though you're innocent. Right? That's another understanding of righteousness. I know you're guilty. I know I'm guilty of sin. Still do once in a while. But it doesn't affect my legal standing with God. Now, so many times our temptations are based mentally up here on you not believing or being weak in faith where you cannot believe that God still loves me, all right? 
Uh, is this hitting home to anybody? Okay. Understand this. When Satan tells you, oh, who do you think you are? You call yourself a Christian? All right? Yeah, I do, because the Bible does. I'm going to speak right back at him. In the name of Jesus, he became sin for me that I might become righteous, right standing with God. Okay? Now, we're going to talk in a few minutes about speaking back to the enemy, sword of the spirit. But understand this. The devil is hoping that you're counting on good deeds for God to like you. That's a lot. He likes you already. <laughs> Matter of fact, he loves you. So this should shut down about half of your spiritual warfare to remember that my heart is protected by the righteousness of God, righteousness of Christ. Satan accuses us because that's one of his favorite tricks to lie. And if we are legalists, we are most gullible. If you know your relationship with God is based on his grace and you believing it, not on being good for God, then you are saved and you are righteous. All right? That's what the word righteous means. It doesn't mean legalistic perfection. Now, we can talk about legalistic perfection. We can talk about holiness. Totally different subject. But remember this. My heart is righteous. My spirit is right. God has given me a new spirit. All right? The devil may lie and all kinds of stuff, and he may remind me of all my failures, but God has put those on the cross with Christ. Okay? Now, next thing is after the, uh, let's see here, breastplate of righteousness, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. That To me, that is a short one. Feet, feet shod with peace refers to walking in the spirit. When, you put, when I put my shoes on, it's usually a sign that I'm going somewhere. Okay? In your Christian life, in your attitude, are you going someplace? Then walk in the Spirit. Being idle makes you a target. Have a plan. Follow Jesus. What's my mission? What's my vision? What's his vision for my life? I need to be gradually, by faith, moving in that direction. All right, next part, <clears throat> shield of faith. The shield of faith, which extinguishes the fiery darts that the devil shoots at you. Believing what God says instead of what Satan lies about, and that's what he shoots at you, is lies, is the antidote is to lift up the shield of faith to each arrow he shoots. Now, that fits in pretty close with the next part, the helmet of salvation. Okay, Helmet protects what? Your head, your brain, your thought life. That's where that happens up here. You know, if this doesn't work anymore, nothing else is going to work because this sends out signals on what to do. You know, here's how to walk. Here's how to talk. Here's how to eat. Here's how to think. Okay? Our minds, as we grow up, are influenced by the powers of this world. Just like uh, Pastor Nick was talking about a few minutes ago. Here's a, a great 
Romans 12. Let me read that to you. You have to look it up. I found it already. Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now listen to this. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So part of our growth is to be, is to be changed in our thinking. Some people think salvation is only a spiritual thing. No, it's spiritual, which affects everything else. But your salvation, part of it is dealing with the way you think. Now, you get your heart right first, but as a result of having a right heart, sooner or later, the Holy Spirit's going to jump into your mind. Some of the ways you think are leading you to no good end. Some of the ways you think are very negative about yourself. Some of the ways you think are full of anger or full of remorse or full of revenge. We can think a million different wrong ways while there's only a few right ways to think. One is God, Jesus is Lord. It's good, always a good place to start. Do you ever have trouble controlling what's going on up here? That's a good opportunity for Satan to jump right in there and make it a whole lot worse. So having on the helmet of salvation, protect, a helmet protects a blow from the enemy. And most of our spiritual warfare is right here. Okay? Somebody said, God speaks it. You have to hear his word, but then it goes on the longest 18-inch journey to your heart. Right? But you've got to get it up here first. That's why we need to study the word, read the word, because the word has power. You know, I was thinking when we were singing that <clears throat> song a while ago, just as I am, I don't know if maybe some of you aren't old enough to know what I'm talking about. All I could see was Billy Grant. <laughs> and I remember thinking years ago, when, even when Billy Grant was on TV, I felt a sense of peace. Wow. It was just such, a, a, a cover, such an anointing there that it just affected my mind with peace. And I thought, you know, he was a, like a spiritual father of America. And then my next thing was, God, who is the spiritual father of America now? And I'm not sure we have one. Maybe there's one I don't know about. But <clears throat> isn't it great to just have that feeling of peace in your mind and security? God's in charge. No matter how bad it gets out here, it can be all right in here. No matter how ugly and unhappy the devil wants me to be, I can rejoice in the Lord and in the power of his might in here. All right? But that has to start up here. You have to start thinking it. And that, the power of the Holy Spirit is what helps you to change your mind. If you're stuck in negative thinking, then put on the helmet of salvation. God, help me to think your word. Okay? How are you going to do that? Well... Probably not very well if you don't ever get it out and read it. Okay? All right. So that's the helmet of salvation working with 
the shield of faith. Satan shoots a dart at you. <clears throat> Get that shield up there. Shield is your faith. Yeah, you may say, devil, that I'm not a Christian, but I know God's word, and I believe that I'm saved. I believe that I'm right with God. I believe God loves me. That's holding that shield up there, and eventually that's going to win out over the devil's lie. But you've got to do it. You've got to take it upon yourself. <clears throat> so think of the helmet of salvation as having a renewed mind. Remember, there's a <clears throat> proverb that says, as a man thinks within himself, so is he. Okay? If I think I'm no good, if, I, if I'm agreeing with my first grade teacher who said I'll never amount to anything, if I'm believing that, I'm allowing that curse to stay in me and be a god to me. But there's power over that. But that power is released as you begin to allow your mind to be uh, renewed. Okay? Getting God's word rooted in there produces peace, knowledge of God, and wisdom. Okay. I think the, about the next to the last part here is taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. This is what Jesus used to fight the devil in the wilderness. The devil said, you're hungry, you haven't eaten for 40 days, use some of that power. See these rocks over here? You could change that into bread. And Jesus' response was, what? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. I can imagine that. Can you imagine? You ever been in a desert for a long time? <laughs> it can get very uncomfortable. We had, <clears throat> I took a Army basic training at Fort Bliss, Texas, which is Fort, which is El Paso. We went on a five-day march one time out in the middle of the desert. One day it was 122 degrees with an 80-pound pack on your, on your back. It was just a thrill a minute. <laughs> It was miserable. And you start, your mind just starts thinking, wow, wouldn't it be so nice to be swimming? Wouldn't it be no, so nice to have iced tea? You know, or all of these things, you know. Well, <clears throat> you know, the devil tries to get you at a time when you are weak. Okay? That's why it says, so be strong. Don't, don't allow yourself to get weak. Jesus fought the devil in the wilderness after 40 days by quoting scripture. All right? I don't know if he took his copy of the Torah out there with him or if he had it memorized. But the more you read it, the more you'll memorize and the more you have it close at hand. All right? Okay. The evil one tempted Jesus to change stones into bread. He responds by the word of God. The sword. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The devil took him up on top of the temple and said, jump off the temple. And uh, God won't let you get hurt. Just think of, you know, people will see you jumping off the temple and go, wee, like that. And <laughs> nothing will happen. And they go, wow, man, he must be a God. And show off, Jesus. No, that's not what, <laughs> that's not what Father told me to do. So, as a matter of fact, devil, don't put God to the test. Don't try to challenge God to do things, all right? Finally, 
he was bold enough to say to worship him, and he said, respond, worship God only. To quote scripture means you got to know it first. And so when we look at about the, we've gone through verse 17. All right, got the whole armor of God, renewed mind, all these things that are important. And then he says, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, so on and so forth. All right, prayer. At the end, you've got all the whole armor of God, whole armor of God on. What's the next thing to do? Pray for other people. Okay. Well, I'm going through some depression right now. Well, I know that so and so over here is also going through. So, I'm going to pray for them. You know, so so sowing and reaping is a part of that. When you're down, when you're sick, when you are without wisdom. You've already asked for what you need. Now start praying for other people. That's planting seeds. And so when you're praying for others, you are planting seeds, and that's a quicker way to get your own need met. So pray God have mercy on people. Pray God pray for people you know that need to get saved. Allow the Lord that's within you to guide you and guide your prayer life. This is a very active thing. It's not just putting on the whole armor of God and just standing there. No, it's active. The devil has come after you. You're going to meet him. That requires action. That requires a change of mind. That requires a desire to do what God wants me to do. That requires me to put in action maybe areas of my life that I have been a little bit weak, a little bit disobedient in. God wants me to walk in the Spirit. God wants me to think his thoughts. My thoughts are not your thoughts, he said one time in Isaiah, but the idea was he wants our thoughts to become more like his thoughts. It wasn't just to say, you know, I'm smart and you're not, and you're going to stay that way. No, he wants us to begin to take, think about taking Jesus' pulse. I want to know his life. I want to know his life. Life signs. What is he thinking? What's he doing so that I can reflect him here on planet Earth? So I can shoot some light into darkness myself. So that's spiritual warfare. It's not something that just happens like that. But it's something that you learn to walk in. Something you learn to understand. Something you learn to do. And it's also something you begin to experience the fruit of. Amen? You've been listening to the New Covenant Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If God spoke to you or if you'd like us to pray for you, you can email Pastor Nick directly at nick at newcovenantokc.org. If you'd like more information about our church, you may visit us on the web at newcovenantokc.org. We can't wait to hear from you.